0: This is a Reconstructionist Radio Production. Please visit biblicalblueprints.org to download this book or purchase a physical copy. Torture, a Biblical Critique by Philip Kaiser, Ph.D. Abstract I offer the following as a broad definition of human torture. Quote, Any deliberate infliction of pain or torment upon oneself or another human being that is not explicitly authorised by the Bible, end quote. A more narrow definition is, quote, the use of such pain or torment to gain information, end quote. Though this booklet will argue against either form of torture, it is the latter definition that will be the primary focus of this booklet. Why study this subject? The subject of the torture of, quote, terrorists, unquote, has been a hot topic in America ever since the abuses at Abu Ghraib hit the news. Unfortunately, though there has been much written on the subject, there has been very little biblical exegesis. Christians have fiercely taken sides on whether the CIA and other agencies should ever be involved in the torture of hostiles. Others have fiercely taken sides on whether waterboarding and other interrogation techniques should even be defined as torture. There is no consensus on how to define torture, nor is there a consensus on whether torture can be used, and if so, which forms of torture. Some have argued that the Bill of Rights only protects American citizens, while others argue that those are God-given rights that pertain to all humans, not just American citizens. As will be seen, This is an incredibly important topic with far-reaching ramifications. It is imperative that Christians be able to argue intelligently from the Scriptures. After all, those Scriptures claim to guide us in all things that pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, and to be sufficient to make the man of God complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3:16 16 and 17. While most arguments in favour of torture have been purely pragmatic arguments, there have been some attempts to argue both for and against torture from the Bible. Some Christians have gone too far by arguing against all infliction of physical or mental pain, including the biblical penalties of beatings, Exodus 21:20, 20, Deuteronomy 25-3, Proverbs 20 30, 23 Thirteen and fourteen, twenty six three, Luke twelve forty seven and forty eight, and the lex talionis principle of civil law, Exodus twenty one twenty four, Leviticus twenty four twenty, Deuteronomy nineteen twenty one, twenty five eleven and twelve, and they have done so based on Christ's supposed overturning of all corporal punishment in Matthew five thirty eight and thirty nine. Others have gone too far in the other direction arguing that these latter punishments are indeed a form of torture that justified the use of torture in our, quote, war against terror, end quote, with God himself engaging in torture, Joshua twenty-three thirteen, Psalm eighty-nine thirty-two, Isaiah ten twenty-six, Matthew 8, 29, 18, 34, 22, 13, 24, 51, Mark 5, 7, Luke 8, 28, 12, 45 to 48 Revelation 9, 4 to six, eighteen six to 8 However, we will see that even if this faulty definition of torture were to be accepted, such an interpretation would explicitly contradict at least 15 biblical principles. Before we can get into those biblical principles, we need to try to define torture. Definition of torture Secular attempts at defining torture. Defining torture has proved to be a difficult task for humanists, though most people seem to recognise it when it exists. Both Amnesty International and the International Red Cross have said that it is impossible to define torture by listing prohibited practices because, quote, however great the care taken in drawing up a list of all the various forms of infliction, it would never be possible to catch up with the imagination of future torturers who wish to satisfy their bestial instincts. The more specific and complete a list tries to be, the more restrictive it becomes, quote. They have also admitted that, quote, whether an act of ill-treatment constitutes torture depends on a number of factors, including the nature and severity of the abuse. Both torture and ill-treatment are prohibited in all circumstances by international law, But international law has had difficulty defining torture in a way that is neither overreaching nor too narrow. The Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman or Degrading Treatment or Punishment was adopted by the United Nations in 1984 and entered into force in 1987. It sought to define torture as any act by which severe pain or suffering, whether physical or mental, is intentionally inflicted on a person for such purposes as obtaining from him or a third person information or a confession, punishing him for an act he or a third person has committed or is suspected of having committed, or intimidating or coercing him or a third person or for any reason based on discrimination of any kind, when such pain or suffering is inflicted by or at the instigation of or with the consent or acquiescence of a public official or other person acting in an official capacity. It does not include pain or suffering arising only from inherent in, or incidental to, lawful sanctions. However, this definition has raised so many widely conflicting applications that it has ceased to be a helpful definition. We will use this definition of torture to illustrate the problems inherent in arriving at a humanistic definition of torture without the Bible. First, Amnesty International has pointed out that acts of violence by private individuals should constitute torture, but this definition only criminalises state-sanctioned torture. The problem is addressed tangentially by the phrase, quote, with consent or acquiescence of a public official or other person acting in an official capacity, end quote but it certainly does not have the force of a statement that criminalizes all torture, whether public or private. This fact can be easily verified by checking the names of signatory nations against the list of nations that have torture with no government action against such torture. The inclusion of some of these signatories would be laughable if the reality was not so tragic. Even in America, there has been debate between various agencies with the Board of Immigration Appeals arguing that a person is not eligible for relief from torture by private groups or individuals that a government is unable or unwilling to control. See matter, S.V. Interim Decision 3430, BIA 2000. The very fact that our law provides asylum for those undergoing torture highlights the difficulty of enforcing one interpretation of this law Within our borders. Second, both Amnesty International and the United Nations Committee Against Torture have demonstrated the utter inconsistency of the Convention's definition of torture when it comes to the matter of abortion. Amnesty International complained against Nicaragua to the United Nations Committee Against Torture, arguing that when Nicaragua criminalised all forms of abortion in July of 2008, that country came into violation of the Convention Against Torture. Given the gruesome nature of abortion, one would think that Amnesty International would do everything in its power to stop abortion. On the contrary, Amnesty International described the denial of rights to women as being torture of those women. Sadly, the United Nations Committee agreed. This illustrates the schizophrenic nature of any ethics that is divorced from the Bible. Any definition of torture that allows for abortions has lost its credibility. Third, there is an inherent tension between the main body of the definition and the last qualifying sentence. The main body of the definition is so broad that it could theoretically rule out all acts of war as inflicting torture, and some forms of military training as being torture, the last sentence is perhaps an attempt to rule this out, though it is difficult to see how military training could be seen to fall under quote, lawful sanctions, end quote. In any case, the last sentence of the definition has opened the door to virtually any form of torture since administrative laws of various agencies have been able to make virtually all torture technically lawful. The reason for this is that the Convention leaves the definition of quote, lawful sanctions, end quote, to each country and several countries have given a great deal of discretion to agencies to create their own policies. The United States, in their reservations to the document, has explicitly redefined, quote, sanctions, end quote, to include, quote, any actions authorised by United States law, end quote, even if it applies to a person who has had no hearing in a court of law. A simple glance at the current signatories to the Convention Against Torture shows that this is not a theoretical problem in other countries either. Many of these countries engage in forms of horrific torture, but can justify them as, quote, lawful sanctions, end quote. On the other hand, many activists have been pushing Western nations into prohibiting all forms of spanking a child, however moderate the spanking may be. Arguing that quote, consent or acquiescence, end quote, but a state to such spanking, is a violation of the convention. Such widely divergent applications of this convention make it clear that the definition is hopelessly inadequate. Fourth, the word "severe" does not have definition and has enabled prominent Americans to say that subjecting detainees to extreme temperatures, forced standing, stress positions sleep deprivation and waterboarding is not torture waterboarding especially has been touted as a safe and effective way of getting information after all we use these measures on our own soldiers many scholars have contested the claim that this is safe and have pointed to examples of lasting psychological damage extreme pain lung damage brain damage and broken bones from struggling against restraints The word severe defies definition, though admittedly the United Nations has declared those practices as a form of torture. Certainly, the person who is being subjected to these painful procedures thinks they are so severe that he or she is willing to confess to anything rather quickly. But when top legal scholars can disagree on these practices, it makes one wonder if humanists can ever come to a consensus on the definition of torture. Fifth, the first part of the definition has been interpreted by at least some to rule out self-defence with tasers or other electric shock devices, all corporal punishment, beatings, death penalty, hard labour, or an optional literal application of lex talionis, as well as any punishment that would bring great mental anguish to a person, including the pain suffered from loss of possession, shame, public rebuke, social ostracism, etc., It would be thought that the last sentence of the definition would protect such sanctions when applied to a person already convicted of a crime and receiving lawful penalties within a given country. However, as the Congressional record shows, American law may, quote, not include sanctions that defeat the object and purpose of the Convention Against Torture to prohibit torture, end quote. But this begs the question on how exactly we should define torture, Humanists are all over the map on this question. Sixth, the first part of the definition could, at least theoretically, rule out liberal ideas of incarceration in prisons, since it has been well documented that prisons almost guarantee the infliction of notoriously evil forms of psychological and physical abuse by guards and or inmates. It is hard to take people seriously when they argue that our prison system is more humane than, And the Bible's punishments. Seventh, the ambiguity within this definition has led the DOJ and the INS to give interpretations of torture that have been at odds with the definitions used by the CIA. I bring up these issues to point out that without the inspired civil law of the Bible to judge our behavior, nations will continue to be at a loss to know how to consistently prohibit what they intuitively know to be wrong. We need an objective standard by which to judge these debates. A Biblical Definition of Torture I offer the following as a broad definition of human torture, quote, Any deliberate infliction of pain or torment upon oneself or another human being that is not explicitly authorized by the Bible, end quote. A more narrow definition is, quote, The use of such pain or torment to gain information, end quote. Though this booklet will argue against any infliction of pain that violates these two definitions, it is the latter definition that will be its primary focus. These two definitions are a necessary consequence of the following biblical data. A woman who gets her ears pierced for earrings is deliberately inflicting temporary pain upon herself. But because this is authorized by the Bible, Ezekiel 1612, it does not fit the definition of torture. Circumcision was also a painful act with debilitating pain lasting for several days Genesis 34:25 but because it too was authorized by God's word Genesis 17 we will not define circumcision as torture likewise surgeries designed to restore a body to God's normal order though inflicting pain had a biblical and God-glorifying purpose and would not constitute torture likewise the biblical punishments mentioned in the first paragraph of this booklet do not constitute torture if they were inflicted by the jurisdictions authorised by God, on the crimes authorised by God, within the limits authorised by God, and after biblical due process. By way of contrast, surgeons who engage in willful body modification, such as splitting tongues, inserting horns under the scalp, performing sex change operations, etc., would fit the definition of torture, whether the surgeon was asked to do it or not. Surgeons who perform abortions are indeed torturers and murderers. The painful scarification process that some African tribes inflict on the bodies of children is clearly forbidden in Leviticus 19.28 and would qualify as a prohibited act of torture. This same passage would also rule out all sadism and masochism whether the person receiving the pain enjoyed the pain or not. Such torture is clearly demonic in origin. Deuteronomy 14.1, 1 Kings 18.28, Mark 5, five, Our bodies belong to God, First Corinthians three sixteen 16-19 and we need to ask God whether graffiti, pain, scars or death may be inflicted on humans. Even tattooing of prisoners for identification purposes would be forbidden. Leviticus 19.28 Biblical law must define all issues related to pain inflicted on man. The issue is not whether corporal or psychological pain may ever be inflicted upon humans. The Bible is quite clear that lawful wars of self-defence are situations where soldiers may indeed inflict pain and death upon the invading army. It is just as clear that corporal punishment may be inflicted upon criminals with the death penalty being applied to murder, Genesis 9-6, Exodus 21, 12-14, Leviticus 24-17, Numbers 35, 16-33, Deuteronomy 19, 11-13, 21, 1-19, Matthew 15, 3-9, Luke 23-41, Acts 25-11. just number of beatings being applied to certain criminals, Deuteronomy 25, 2-3, and Proverbs 18-6, 1929, 2030, 263, and the theoretical possibility that the Lex Talionis laws could be applied literally. Exodus 21:24, Leviticus 24:20, 20, Deuteronomy 19:21, 25, 11 and 12. Likewise, biblical law was often severe enough that it produced a legitimate fear, a form of psychological pain that helped to discourage criminal behavior. Deuteronomy 13.11.19.20 So, the issue is not whether it is biblical to inflict pain. The issue of whether it is ever legitimate to engage in, quote, any deliberate infliction of pain or torment upon oneself or another human being that is not explicitly authorized by the Bible, end quote. And more to the point of this booklet, is it ever legitimate to inflict pain or torment upon anyone to gain information? The clear answer of Scripture is no. The Biblical Prohibition of Torture In Acts 23.3, Paul gave the standard Jewish interpretation of Deuteronomy 25.1-2. He said that it was not lawful for authorities to so much as slap a prisoner prior to a trial and conviction. Of course, people might object that this was only a protection for a citizen, not an enemy combatant, but Scripture was quite clear that quote, one law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you, end quote. Exodus twelve forty-nine. This did not preclude interrogation of hostiles on the field of battle, Judges eight fourteen, or offering mercy to hostiles who voluntarily gave helpful information—a kind of plea bargaining, Judges one twenty-four to twenty-six. These situations were proper applications to the offer of peace to a city, Deuteronomy 20, 10-15, also being extended to any citizen of that city who defected. It is true that on the field of battle, enemy soldiers knew that their fate was death, Deuteronomy 20, 10-15, unless they had worthwhile information to give. Since information was a weapon on the field of battle, an enemy who withheld information during the heat of battle could be considered to be armed and could be killed. This was why plea bargaining was so powerful on the battlefield. Failing to plea bargain could mean death. But God never allowed torture to extract information. The following are the main biblical arguments against the torture of any human, whether alien or citizen. 1. Paul declared this slapping of a prisoner prior to conviction under due process of law to be a violation of the law, Acts 23.3. If Paul was struck, quote, contrary to the law, end quote, then anything greater than a slap in the face should also be considered unlawful. This would be true whether the person was a native-born or a stranger who dwells among you, since there must be one law for both, Exodus 12.49 this principle would rule out waterboarding 2 nicodemus argued that judging either an individual or a crowd of being an enemy of the state without having been convicted in a court of law was contrary to the law john 7:47 to 53 47 to 53 3 arguing from the lesser to the greater cruelty against animals was forbidden in the bible genesis 49, to 7 Proverbs twelve ten, how much more so cruelty against humans? Genesis forty nine five to seven, Exodus six nine, Psalm seventy one four, seventy four twenty, four. Biblical law governing the treatment of captives does not allow for torturing or killing them. Second Kings six eight to twenty three, On the field of battle an enemy can be killed, but once the immediate conflict has ceased, such prisoners cannot be treated inhumanely. Nor should people argue that we are in a perpetual state of emergency. We all know how the threat of danger can be perceived to be perpetual, even years after a proven attempted attack has ceased. Can we treat a captured soldier who is now in America differently than God commanded the captured pagans in Second Kings 6, 8-23 to be treated, despite imminent threats from Syria? That would violate centuries of Western war policies. The limits of any form of roughing up would be on the battlefield in face-to-face combat. Once the soldiers are in custody and off the battlefield, Second Kings six eight to twenty-three kicks in, and they should be treated well. Five, though hostiles from an aggressor nation could be made into slaves for war reparations, Leviticus twenty-five forty-four to forty-six, Joshua nine twenty-three. All biblical slaves, indentured servants, had basic God-given rights that would rule out torture. a. Beatings could only be inflicted on slaves for clear-cut punishment for documented disobedience. Luke 12:44-48. There is no evidence that slaves could be beaten to extract information from them. Keep in mind that, quote, a child is no different from a slave, end quote, Galatians 4.1. This means that any corporal punishment that is ungodly for a parent to inflict upon its child would also be ungodly to inflict upon his slave. This principle would clearly rule out waterboarding. b. Second, Slaves were always to be treated with respect and not with cruelty. Leviticus 25, 46, 53 Interrogation techniques that are cruel or harsh should not be used. c. Scripture protected slaves with the lex talionis principle just as it did any other citizen and if permanent damage of any type was inflicted on such a captive Exodus twenty-one, twenty 20-27 he was to be let free Exodus twenty-one, twenty-six and 27 Leviticus twenty-four, nineteen 19-22 Likewise, equivalent punishment was to be inflicted on the torturer quote, As he has done, so shall it be done to him Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. You shall have the same law for the stranger and for the one from your own country. For I am the Lord your God. End quote. Leviticus 2419 19-22. 6. Witnesses were required of the prosecution, but not of the accused. Deuteronomy 19.15, Leviticus 5.1 this by itself rules out the use of torture because it is requiring a person to become a witness against himself only the accuser was forced to testify 7 torture violates the biblical right of the accused to remain silent this law is implied in numbers 35:30 Deuteronomy 17:6 19:15 and is explicitly affirmed by Christ's silence in mark 15:3 to 5 Matthew twenty-seven fourteen. This reinforces the previous point that the prosecution had the responsibility of bringing witnesses, and that the accused did not. It. The accused is treated as innocent until proven guilty. Deuteronomy twenty-five one and two, Isaiah forty-three nine, Deuteronomy seventeen six, Acts twenty twenty-three three. This was one of the gross violations of the law that occurred at the trial of Jesus. He was mocked and beaten prior to trial, Luke twenty-two sixty-three to 65 But modern torture of captured suspects is a similar violation of the principle of innocent until proven guilty. 9. Torture erodes the character and testimony of a nation, God wanted the Gentiles to be jealous of the liberties that his law brought to Israel, Deuteronomy 46 8 and declared his laws to be the perfect law of liberty, James 1, James 12 However, through cruelty, Israel's reputation was destroyed, Lamentations 4-3, Ezekiel 34-4. In a similar way, torture has ruined America's grand testimony, Though not agreeing with much of his politics, Senator John McCain was correct when he excoriated the forms of torture that have recently been perpetuated in America. Quote, I don't mourn the loss of any terrorist's life, nor do I care if in the course of serving their ignoble cause they suffer great harm. They have pledged their lives to the international destruction of innocent lives, and they have earned their terrible punishment in this life and the next. What I do mourn is what we lose when, by official policy or official neglect, we allow, confuse or encourage our soldiers to forget that best sense of ourselves, that which is our greatest strength, that we are different and better than our enemies, that we fight for an idea, not a tribe, not a land, not a king, not a twisted interpretation of an ancient religion, but for an idea that all men are created equal, and endowed by their Creator with inalienable rights. End quote. Ten, many commentators have pointed out that the torturer himself is dehumanized, and that the cruel man does himself harm. Proverbs eleven seventeen, Your American Standard Bible. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn worded it, quote, our torturers have been punished most horribly of all; they're turning into swine. They are departing downward from all humanity. 11. All men are made in the image of God. Genesis one twenty six twenty eight, nine six, And torture degrades that image. Deuteronomy 25.3 Even after a trial and conviction, this image of God in man meant that no one could be given more than 40 lashes and a beating because that would make him degraded. Deuteronomy 25.3 NASB. It didn't matter that a horrendous criminal might be thought to deserve more than that. This was the limited degradation that was allowed in the Bible as punishment. Nor were there other forms of physical pain, beyond beatings and capital punishment, that were allowed for any one crime. Torture appeared to be off the radar of biblical justice. 12. Even after capital punishment was inflicted, the body of a criminal had to be treated respectfully lest the land be defiled, Deuteronomy twenty one twenty three. Certain forms of torture have flagrantly disrespected people's bodies. 13. Authorising torture trusts government with far too much power. Since civil government is made up of depraved individuals, Romans three ten to 18 unrestrained power in the hands of such would be corrupting. We have seen what the power to torture has done to degrade governments, and even civilized countries. Why would we want that in America? 14. The New Testament says that quote, every transgression and disobedience in the Old Testament received a just penalty. End quote. Hebrews 2.2 2. To the degree that we deviate from God's law, we deviate from justice. Since the Old Testament nowhere shows torture as a just use of civil force. To use it, is to deviate from justice and to buy into pragmatism. 15. The Golden Rule Do unto others what you would have them do to you. Matthew 7.12 No one would want to be tortured if captured by the enemy. There simply is no biblical evidence of coerced testimony authorised in the Bible. Even Achan, who jeopardised the safety of the entire nation, and whom God had already tried and convicted, was only asked to give a voluntary confession in Joshua 7, 9-26. Thus, Paul rightly protested when he was treated as guilty until proven innocent, Acts sixteen thirty seven, And the trial of Christ, as much of a kangaroo court as it was, was stymied in their attempt to prove Christ guilty because he refused to give information despite torture, this, however, does not mean that a person cannot be condemned when he testifies to his own guilt. See, for example, Second Samuel 1.16, where David said, quote, Your blood be on your own head, your own mouth testified against you when you said, quote, I killed the Lord's anointed. Quote. Many people object that waterboarding is a safe form of information gathering and does not meet the criteria of torture. They also argue that, so long as waterboarding is not used on American citizens, it is proper to use. However, many of the principles already given apply here. Other questions that expose the problem with waterboarding are these. 1. If waterboarding is permissible for non-citizens, what is there about waterboarding that makes it not acceptable to be used on citizens? Could it be used on a citizen who was suspected of being a terrorist? Do his rights vanish? Do citizens have more rights than non-citizens? I do not accept the idea that the Constitution's Bill of Rights applies only to citizens. Those were rights that the citizen had before there was any nation of America or any citizens. They were seen as God-given rights that relate to humanity, not to U.S. citizenship. The bottom line is that Scripture mandates that, quote, one law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Exodus twelve forty nine, Numbers 15, 16. 2. If someone were to turn around and argue that waterboarding is indeed permissible, even for citizens, under what biblically defined circumstances? The author has searched in vain for such guidelines in the Scripture. Given the strong language used against coerced testimony, the onus is on those who believe torture is acceptable to prove that the Bible allows it. Furthermore, what would be the limits of psychological pressure and pain that could be used on citizens? If this is not defined biblically, there really are no limits. How could you demonstrate that there is a logical stopping point? If you were the subject of waterboarding, suspecting of being a right-wing extremist, would you feel like your civil liberties were being abridged? Christians need to think biblically on these issues and not argue that the end of peace and safety justifies the means of torture. Conclusion Based upon the biblical evidence that we have examined, we conclude that torture should never be used by anyone to gain information. Not only is it not authorised for our war on terror, it is itself a hostile attack against God's social order. And should be opposed by every citizen. This audio version of Torture A Biblical Critique has been produced by Reconstructionist Radio and narrated by Nathan F. Conkey. Please visit org to download this book or purchase a physical copy.